And I have been in this series called Our Signs. And it's taken from Psalm 74, verse 9. And um, this is one of those messages, you know, about every seven to ten years, you want to bring it around and share it because the body of Christ needs to be reminded of these things. So Psalm 74, verse 9, the, uh, the prophet in the Old Testament, uh, or the psalmist, I should say, is lamenting when he cries out and he says, we do not see our signs. There's no longer any prophets, and uh, there's no one among us who knows how long or, or how long this is going to go on. Israel had drifted away from God. They had uh, come out from underneath his favor. They lost their unique distinction among the nations of the world. They were just like any other nation. And uh, they were governing themselves just like any unsaved heathen nation without God. And the people that knew God and knew that their, their land had backslidden were crying out and saying, we don't see our signs. There were very specific signs and indicators that they were a unique people living under God's blessing. You know, the, the, um, the pillar of fire and the, the cloud of glory that brought them through the wilderness, the great battles that the Lord had fought on their behalf, the manna that fell. Israel, whenever they walked with God, they had wonderful signs of God's favor, so much so that the Philistines and their enemies were afraid to fight against them. Oh my God, they brought the ark out onto the battlefield. And, you know, so when those things were no longer happening, it was like the presence of God had dried up and they were crying out. Hundreds of years later, the promised Messiah came. And when Jesus rose from the dead, the Holy Ghost came down on the day of Pentecost and the church was born. And when that church was born and the new covenant was established, the church came forth with signs flowing out of the midst of it. Not like the Old Testament when they would walk upright before God and God's favor would come down from heaven and be seen among them. In this situation, the, 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 the signs of God seemed to be flowing right out of the men and women that were followers of Jesus Christ. And indeed, that is where the signs came from because the Lord had taken up his residence in the heart of his people. And so 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you might show forth the excellencies, the power, the virtue of he who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So those Old Testament signs were indicators that the God of heaven was among them. But these New Testament signs were indicators that we are the house of God. And when those signs are flowing, God is in the house. Hallelujah. And, you know, many churches today are more concerned about maintaining their denominational or theological signs than they are the signs of God, a people for God's own possession. But you and I are called as Christians to be much more than signs of what we believe in. I'm a Methodist, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Baptist, I'm independent. Well, what are you? Well, I'm just not with all those other guys. Well, what is that? It's just 
I'm not with them. That's what I am. You know, so there's all these different brands of Christians and um, that are more concerned about staking out their claim on what they believe and stopping there and letting that be their sign to the world. When God birthed the church in the book of Acts, he himself was introducing Jesus to the world through those signs through the believers. So I found about 17 of these things in the book of Acts, and uh, I'm going to preach them all, praise the Lord. And so um, this morning, I'm going to dedicate to one sign, the sign of prophesying. Usually I've been doing two signs a week. I'm going to do one because this is an important sign. There needs to be a little bit of uh, light shed on it, some instruction. But before I do, I just want to finish up this um, this uh little backdrop so you understand why these signs are important. We, we should not just be signs of what we believe in. We should be signs of what God is doing. We should be showing forth the excellencies, the power, the virtues of he who called us out of darkness into his. People ought to be able to look at you and read you as an epistle. They said, wow, God is moving in that man. I want that in my life because that's really, that's the gospel message written on our lives, not just on our hearts, but in our activities and written on our lives, that speaks to people that are unsaved and says, well, if he can have that peace, if she can see prayers answered, if, if those people can, can uh, walk with God and know God, and I know that they're flawed in normal people like me, then I can too. So you see how that works? Those are the supernatural signs. So, you know, God never intended that his heaven-born, spirit-connected church should be turned over to an earthly institution. He always intended us to be heaven-connected, spirit-born. Hallelujah. So if we don't see these signs flowing in our lives today, we ought to stop and be seeking God and saying, Lord, reconnect us. Because when we're connected, these signs show forth. So... The sign of prophesying. In the book of Acts, in uh, chapter 19, it's right towards the end of the revelation experience that John is having. And <clears throat> he has uh, been talking with uh, uh, an angel that's like a docent at a museum that's taking him around and showing him. And he's, he's just been showing him the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he's, I don't know how he's seeing it, but he says, I see this. And so he's, he's having this, this vision that he's caught up in. He's seeing the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's seeing all these events taking place. And the angel's been walking him through, and he's been being addressed by different angels and, and just seeing amazing things, hearing amazing things. So the angel's been talking to him, and he's writing about what the angel's saying to him. I want to just drop in on this scene in these two verses, verse 9 and 10 in Revelation 19. And uh, there's something unique about prophecy in here I want you to pick up on. And the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am I am a fellow servant. Now, he's an angel, but he's saying, just like you, I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God 
For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, if you were to research this verse, you'd find that there's a lot of ink invested in commentaries on this verse. And it can be a difficult verse to really get the depth of it or, or get beyond just the general nuances and really get the key meaning. And I'm not sure that I'm going to plumb the depths this morning or that it's even necessary. But there is a general message about the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy that I want to bring out as we take a look at the, the sign of prophesying in the church. That, um, that message, I think, shows up when John is there with the angel who's been talking to him, that all of a sudden, the angel speaks this sentence, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he pauses. And then he pipes up again and he said, these are the true sayings of God. It has a cadence to it, almost like the, the prophecies of the Old Testament. Thus says the Lord. Can you imagine being in the presence of Isaiah or Elijah when they enter um, the, the king's uh, sanctuary, his palace, and uh, come in with a staff and declare, thus says the Lord, and the presence and anointing of God. Something happened in that scene when he said, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are the true sayings of God. Not that anything he's been saying up to that point isn't of God or isn't true or isn't accurate. That's important to see. He's been showing him things that are all true, that are all made possible because God is revealing them. But this one statement he makes has such an anointing on it, John is immediately confused and he thinks Jesus is that angel and he falls at his feet. John would never worship an angel. John would never worship a prophet who is just prophesying. Something about what he said just carried with it the mighty presence, personal presence of the Lord, so much so that it had that impact on John. And the angel stops him and says, no, get up, get up. I'm simply a servant of God like you and your brothers who have the gospel. And then he says, the testimony of Jesus. Now, the, the word of can be widely translated. It could be the testimony of Jesus. It could be the testimony of from Jesus. It could be the testimony about Jesus. Of, from, and about all have different, little different emphasis in their meaning. I want to call attention to the phrase, the testimony of Jesus or the testimony from Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The angel is simply saying to him, that the spirit of prophecy is utterance 
that originates with Jesus or originates with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Remember, Jesus said, when I'm not with you physically, who's going to be with you? The Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And in John 16, when he talked about the Holy Spirit being with them, he said, I will be absent, but the Holy Spirit I'm going to send in my name. He said, I will leave, but I will be with you. So when the Holy Spirit's with you, who's with you? Jesus is with you. So that's why Jesus said in John 16, Everything that the Holy Spirit says will bring comfort and will lead you into truth and show you things to come. But what I'm trying to say is that that angel, being an angel, was speaking true things and revealing things to John, but then the spirit of prophecy came on him. You might think, why would you have to prophesy in heaven? I want you to see that you might have an idea of what prophecy is, but in its essence, it is God uttering and sending that utterance, not like grabbing a puppet and literally making its tongue and jaw move and literally forcing every syllable out, but God sending the spirit of utterance to a being and anointing them in that moment to speak forth. That's the spirit of prophecy. And it's always the testimony of Jesus. Prophecy can be about a number of things. It's always, though, within the context of, of the Lord Jesus and his purpose and his will in our lives and, and in the earth. So essentially speaking, prophecy is different from preaching. This is important to make this distinction because a lot of theologians like to say prophecy is the New Testament version of preaching. But I've heard preaching. And I have to say, I've heard preachers preach and I would say at a moment they started prophesying. Prophecy was flowing. I mean, they were just speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But I've heard a lot of preaching and it's not prophesying. So, prophecy is not just another word for preaching. It is one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the supernatural manifestations of God to the church. And so, essentially speaking, preaching originates from man. But prophesying originates from the Holy Spirit. Prophesying is the testimony not just about Jesus, but the testimony from Jesus. Who's going to tell you about Jesus better than Jesus? That's what prophesying is. But you need to understand that, that prophesying is not a mechanical takeover where God suspends the person's consciousness, takes over their body like some kind of demon possession, and they go into a trance and they start speaking. That's not prophesying. Um, but it's still the Holy Spirit giving that gift of utterance. So a lot of people think that prophesying is foretelling, foretelling future events. There's, there's a book out, a new book uh, um, of, uh, about the prophecies of the coming of the Lord. And, and uh, people associate 
prophesying with foretelling the future. In its simple, basic form, prophesying is not foretelling, it's forthtelling. It's speaking forth. Prophesying is an utterance gift. Foretelling the future is a revelation gift. It is a gift that reveals. That gift's called the word of wisdom in the Bible. Word of wisdom, I know you, you, you thought the word of wisdom is what your mother has. But that's a whole other, whole other message. So prophesying occurs when God moves upon a believer who's brimming with the Holy Spirit to speak forth a word to encourage and direct his people. The Lord never went to the right hand of the Father to disengage and to leave the church in the hands of smart people. That was never his purpose. Nor did he expect to just give the written, just give the Bible to people and let them go out and apply it and run the church. He wanted to have a say-so. Is it so difficult to believe that God wants to speak to his people? All you have to do is read the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, to the seven churches in Asia. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the, the angel of the, speaks to the angel of the church at Philadelphia. It's written, the word angel there means pastor, basically. So God has messages. He wants to speak to us. And, and he should have the right to do that. And prophesying is simply the vocalizing or the utterance facilitator, the facility of speaking. Now, prophesying is like a vehicle. It is God sending forth. But you could put all kinds of stuff in that vehicle. You can carry groceries. You can carry people. So it can have a word of wisdom in it about the future. That's why I think a lot of people confuse prophesying with foretelling the future. Prophesying is foretelling, but you, you can have, it can have a word of knowledge in it, a word that speaks about a condition in someone's life that nobody knows but them. And the Lord wants to let them know that he sees it. And, a, and, a, and God sends one of his servants up uh, to speak that person says, the Lord, the Lord is saying to you, I see this and I know this about your life, but I love you and, I've, and, and I want you to, and gives, gives an instruction. And that would be a word of knowledge because it's speaking about a situation in the present or in the past in a person's life. But it came forth through the vehicle of prophesying. God wants the thus says the Lord to continue. Now, it's different than the Old Testament. The Old Testament, they... Um, <coughs> They did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And so the prophets had to be dead on right. They couldn't be wrong. If they were wrong, you could stone the prophets. So, and a lot of them got stoned even when they were right. But um, the, the, the point is, in the New Testament, however, we have the Word of God. We have the Scripture. And we have the Holy Spirit, the Teacher. We have God. We have Jesus living within us. So prophecy does not have the same kind of influence over us. We're told that we should take prophetic words and we should sift them and sort them out and prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. 
But still, nonetheless, it's important that God has a right to speak to us because when he speaks, it brings a presence, the presence of the Lord. There's a difference. If, if Glenn were to walk up to you and go, say to you, um, the Lord is, the Lord is, I just, I just think God's, you know, sees your struggle that you're going through and he's merciful and he loves you. It'd be like, well, thank you, Glenn. Um, appreciate that. I'm, I'm hoping for that myself. Um, but what if somebody spoke the word of the Lord and laid out that struggle and said, I see this and this is what's going on, but I am the God of mercy and I have come to relieve your burden. That word uttered in that very moment would take the burden away from him. Glenn can't take that burden away, but that prophetic word. Do you remember when, when Paul was writing to Timothy, he said, stir up the gift that was given to you through prophecy and the laying on of the hands of the elders. So God literally spoke and imparted some ministry gift to Timothy through prophetic utterance. So in Acts chapter 19 and verse 6, um, it says, And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So again, when they receive the Holy Spirit, out pops prophetic utterance. People start prophesying. Um, in 1 Corinthians 14 and 3, it says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Say that with me. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. Edification, exhortation, comfort. Think for a moment about what that is. That's all the good stuff right there. Edification, exhortation, and, and comfort. So he, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their edification, their upbuilding, their exhortation, giving clarity, giving direction, giving correction, and comfort. We all know what comfort is. So prophesying is basically when, when a prophecy comes forth and it really is a prophetic word from the Lord in a, in a congregation, in a meeting, um, it's basically Jesus saying, I am here, actively leading you, encouraging you, and confirming your gathering to me. Now, I could see where it's very important for the body of Christ to have those confirmations going on regularly. I am in the midst of you. You know, think about it. We could be just going on in the same direction, doing the same thing month after month, year after year. And after a while, people begin to wonder, are we on track with God? Is, are we moving where God's moving? You want to know that the Lord is in the midst of you speaking. You know, they in that opening verse in Psalm 74, he said, where are our signs? There's no prophet. No one is speaking the word of the Lord in the midst of us anymore. We, you know, we have the scriptures. We have our routines. We're kind of going through them, but we're adrift from God. We're cut off and separated. When God is connected, he's speaking. God's a talker. Hallelujah. So, Jesus' gospel completely reoriented the way God relates with people. It was a complete, total transformation, reorientation of God's relationship to us. Uh, 
Whereas before God would occasionally speak through a prophet or visit the people with a revelation or, or with a revival, now he's living in us. It is a continuous abiding. And he said, I will never leave or forsake you. We are one. In John 17, Jesus said, Father, they may be one like you and I are one. Unbroken communion, unbroken fellowship. There's got to be some talking going on. Praise the Lord. In Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and some of the teachers and prophets up at the church in Antioch were gathered together seeking the Lord because the Lord had been putting on their hearts that, the, that Saul or Paul was supposed to be traveling around the empire, around the known world, and bringing the gospel. So they knew that, that there was a calling on Paul to do it, and so they were seeking the Lord. Rather than forming a committee and saying, well, let's go raise some money, let's form a committee, let's look at the, the best way to do this, and we'll send Paul out. Um, instead, they, they sought the Lord and said, well, this is, it's God's work, God's gospel, God's church. Let's hear what the Lord has to say. In other words, they were expecting God to speak, right? So listen, listen to the, it in uh, Acts 13, beginning of verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, such as Barnabas and Simeon, that is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, uh, or the governor, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And so the Bible says as they afterwards, after they had fasted and prayed a little more, obviously God gave them direction, they laid their hands on them to commit them to the work God had spoken and had given direction. And they end up that little, that little segment in verse 4 by saying, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. And it names the initial cities that they went to visit. So notice the phrase, being sent out by whom? It, they didn't say they were sent out by the church at Antioch. It wouldn't have been improper to say that. They were sent out by the church. You could have said we're sent out by this group of elders or we're sent out by this church. But the fact is they had prayed and fasted and the spirit of prophecy was in their midst. And God said, separate them. It's time to go send them out. And so the Bible says they were thus sent by the Holy Spirit. I wonder how many things God has called men and women to, and they know God has called them. But because they're, they don't believe in prophesying, they have no expectation, and there's nobody among them who's open to the Lord speaking to them. You know, if you were open to God giving you prophetic words, he would give you prophetic words. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But, but when you're among people that are not open to it, they don't believe in it, you know, God doesn't force things through people who have absolutely no faith in it. They have no belief in it. They don't believe that it's, it's, a, it's a legitimate or an authentic thing. So they expected God to speak, and he did speak. So the sign of prophesying, when it's operating, Jesus is seen continuing to impart edification, exhortation, and comfort to his people. You could go in among a body of people like that and you say, wow, this is different. 
It's like the Lord's here. Well, um, hello, that's kind of the message that we, well, I mean, what's the purpose in having a church if people don't walk in and say, the Lord is here? Right. You know, otherwise, what is it? It's a religious museum. We're just, we got a Bible, we're talking about everything God used to do. So, let me talk for a few minutes. I think I've made the point about how the, how the prophecy is necessary. Let me share a little bit about the difference between the sign of prophecy and what I call uh, spiritual chatter, for lack of a better term. You'll get, get where I'm going with this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21, Paul writes, quench not the spirit, period. Despise not prophesyings, period. Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, or test all things, hold fast to that which is good. So he's summarizing his letter to the Thessalonians, says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophesying, but prove and test all things, and then sort it out. Hold to what's good, and don't get all, you know, in a lather over what isn't, just let it go. The word despise, that, that second phrase, despise not prophesying, um, the word despise, I think, needs, needs a little um, light thrown on it. It means literally contemptible, least esteemed, to set at naught. So the question is, why were Christians finding prophetic utterances contemptible and ignoring them? Why was that happening? Because it was happening, that's why Paul wrote it. Do not despise prophesying. Do not find prophesyings contemptible. Do not diminish or devalue them as the least esteemed. Do not set them aside and disregard them as immaterial and unimportant. But prove, test all things, hold fast to that which is good. In the plainest terms, the reason why they were despising prophesyings is, is because people were prophesying things to others that God was not saying to others. And so people were getting sick of prophesying because if you think so-and-so should move in with you and you've thought about it and you've prayed about it and you think they should come and rent your spare room and you go to them and you say, let's pray together for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Let's join hands. We start getting deep. Mm, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, thus says the Lord. Move in to this room. I am in this, says the Lord. Do not be afraid. Then you add some little you know, embellishments to it and everything. So why, why does that happen? Well, we're going to talk about that for a moment. But the fact of the matter is it does happen. And it explains, at least to a certain degree, why people got to the point where they're like, not another prophecy. 
We don't want to hear prophesying anymore. And those, so they, what they did was they were just wholesale throw, as we say, they were throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Well, <clears throat> the fact is that what happens is people prophesy things because they pick them up in their spirit. Think, what are you talking about? That almost sounds like uh, mediums and, and spirit stuff. Well, it could be. But the things that people prophesy that God is not saying, where do they come from? What are they? Why would a Christian who loves the Lord prophesy something that God is not saying? Well, it's not because there's an intention to deceive or to sow discord or to do anything wrong. On the one end of the spectrum, what happens oftentimes is that uh, people can, can see things that are true and genuine that God shows them. It's happened to you many times um, if you think about it. Um, you, the Lord will show you something, maybe for somebody you're praying for or a situation that you're praying for and the Lord reveals something to you. The, the problem is people will then make the leap because they know God showed it to them, the Lord must want me to speak this. And when we pick up something from the Lord that he shows us, there's an anointing on it. And if you don't understand the spirit of prophecy, you'll interpret that anointing, that thing that God shows you. It's exciting to know God reveals stuff to you. You'll just um, misunderstand that anointing as utterance, the anointing to speak. But the anointing, the unction to speak a prophetic word is itself a totally unique, separate anointing than that kind of anointing you get when God reveals something to you and shows you something. So all, I think that's the, 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 the largest portion of prophecies that are given that God was not speaking, but they weren't necessarily wrong or false or misinformation. It's just that thus says the Lord, and the Lord was not thus saying. So, but, um, you know, uh, I think most of the time we think, well, no damage done. You know, it was, it was, it was not anything bad or wrong. But the problem is, <clears throat> if it happens enough, the whole sense of prophetic utterance just gets washed out. And it, ha it loses its impact. It loses its significance. When a prophetic utterance is of God and, and it comes forth, there's an anointing. And, and most everybody picks it up and can feel it. But you, you can see in meetings sometimes words will go forth and the only body, the only person feeling it is the person speaking it. Yeah. And everybody else is like. So the, on, on the other side of this thing, um, you know, aimed in the spirit realm, the spirit realm is filled and flowing with information and activity. You say, well, what, what does that mean? I'm not sure I really know what it means, except that I do know there's angels and they talk to one another, and there's information about heaven. There's things that are known. When you read the Bible, you could see that angels talk to each other, and, and they share things. So there's, there's stuff that is known. And then there's demons. And demons are liars. 
But they love to eavesdrop, and they love to try to find people who've got an open ear. And they love to pretend to be God and speak things, especially if they pick up something that, uh, and I don't know where they would get it, but they pick up something that uh, maybe is accurate or true or something from God, and they go speak it to somebody who they know is going to pass it on and speak it out and say, thus says the Lord. And so, at any rate, this stuff can get complicated, but I want to give you a little example of where this shows up in the Bible in 2 Kings. Um, you know the story of Elijah, the prophet, and his predecessor, his uh, successor, Elisha, who is his servant, and Elisha takes over, and the mantle of the anointing of, of the prophet that was on Elijah, when he's caught up to heaven in the chariot of fire, that that anointing and ministry falls on Elisha. So the day that that transference takes place, Elijah is going down to the valley of the Jordan River and crossing over, and Elisha's following behind him, and Elijah knows this is the day he's going to be taken up. So he, he already knows from the Holy Spirit this is, this is going to be that day. And we're not told how he knows it, but Elisha, who's been following him, also knows that this is that day. And they go to a couple of towns, and this is, a, this is a, um, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 3, this is an example of one of the towns that they go to where they have a group of, of young prophesiers called the sons of the prophets. I don't know about the sons of the prophets myself personally. I, I don't really see in the scriptures where they played a a, a tremendous role like the prophets themselves did, but they probably were great teachers and stuff among the people. But um, this is a classic example of how they operated. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha, and they said to him, Do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master from over your head? And Elisha said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. And then they went to the next town. Sons of the prophets went up and tried to prophesy over him there and say, do you, do you not know that the... Yeah, I know it. Keep quiet. You see, they knew something. They knew that that was the day that Elisha was going to come, come forth. But see, these guys were young sons of the prophets and they really didn't understand. They thought, well, if I pick it up, I should speak it. If I see it, I should speak it. They thought prophecy was speaking everything you see. And the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Jesus knew a lot more than what he said. Jesus didn't say everything that popped into his mind, right? Praise the Lord. So, so there is a discipline to prophesying that unless God is say a thing, you don't saith the Lord. You understand what I'm, what I'm trying to say? So Elisha says, yeah, I know it. Keep quiet. And we know the story that Elisha follows Elijah. They go over the Jordan River. Elijah's taken up in that mantle falls and Elisha gets it and he comes back over and he's the new prophet of God. So the sign of prophecy is an utterance gift. It's not an information gift. Um, it's an unction to speak forth, not a license to speak forth. Now listen, because here's the crux of it. People often make the mistake that 
the gift of prophecy is an open license to speak whatever you get from God. And it isn't. Um, you could end up speaking one out of every 20 things that God shows you. I mean, I'm just throwing some numbers out there. It doesn't really mean anything. It's the principle of it. You understand. So, the spirit of prophecy carries the authorization of God's presence, not the zeal, not the zeal of the one bringing the message. Let me talk for a moment about the spirit of prophecy versus seers. How many have heard the term seers? And even in the Old Testament, I think when uh, Samuel was one of the early prophets, I think he was, there's a phrase in there where it says, in those days they used to call the prophets seers. So it, the term seers used in the Bible, it's never used in the Bible in the sense that God called him a seer. It's an acknowledgement that the people of the land referred to the prophets of God as seers. But seers was a term that ancient people attributed to those who seem to be a spiritual radio. Whatever channel they dial into, they pick stuff up, and whatever they pick up, they broadcast it out. The radio's a great analogy, because they just, they're dialing in things and giving it out. So mediums do that, and spiritists do that, and witches do that. And so they would, they use that term seer, and they used it as a blanket expression, because they didn't know the difference, and the prophet of God, whether it was Elijah or Samuel or Elisha or Jeremiah, would come along and they'd see something from the Lord speaking. So the people would think, well, they're a seer. They are not seers. They're prophets, and there's a big difference. A seer's a spiritual radio, and he just speaks whatever he sees. The authorization to prophesy is not receiving information. The authorization to prophesy is itself the spirit of prophecy. And there is nothing else that you can put with it. You just know that utterance, just like any other supernatural gift of the spirit. It has its own indication, and the believer knows it. Now, the Bible says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophesying. In other words, Paul says to the church, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's what the devil wants you to do. He wants the church to go dark. He wants the church to go silent. He wants people to go, you know, this is too tedious. We can't sort all this out. We, we can't figure out who's speaking from God and who isn't. It's not that difficult. You know, most of the time in church, prophecies will come forth and you'll be like, oh, you know, it's nothing unscriptural, it's not, but we didn't feel any great anointing on that prophetic word. You just let it go. You just sort of file it in the, on that file that says somebody spoke something they saw. You know, the only time I think that you really get in and, and you address or do those sorts of things where, where you uh, uh, confront that word is if something is seriously unscriptural or habitual and it's and it keeps coming forth, and it's not from God, then you have to make an adjustment correction for the sake of the body. But what I'd like to do is close with a, a couple of practical things about how do we prove all things? The Bible says prove all things, hold fast to what is good. So how do we do that? How do we judge prophecy and hold fast to what is good so that we don't deprive ourselves of this gift? Um, 
First of all, number one, and I'm just going to be fast with this. You can get the notes. There's some scriptures in here. You can get out the notes. Number one, is it scriptural? If a prophetic word comes forth and it just cuts across the grain of scripture, you just put it aside and forget about it because God will never go against his word. Um, so I've got, as a reference, I've got 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 through 17, where it says, Every scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, proof, correction, and righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Um, the second thing, and there's just really two, is it scriptural? And number two, is it confirmation? Is it confirming something that God has already shown you? Or is it a new thing and you hold on to it and God will bring confirmation? But just know this, true spirit of prophecy always works with confirmation. When I read in Acts chapter 13, the, when the Bible says the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, the whole phrase is, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto I have called them. So they, they already had received the call from God. This was a confirmation. So prophetic words, if you hear a prophecy, someone gives you a prophecy and it totally, you, know, you don't know what it's about, or, then just set it aside. If it's God, God will show, he'll confirm it, will it line up with the word. The believer should never take steps, change their life, or do anything until they are certain in their own heart and have gotten counsel and are sure this is what God wants me to do. We have the right to be led by the Spirit of God should settle for nothing less than that. You know, <clears throat> confirmation, confirmation involves a number of things. It involves the inner witness. The Bible says the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So we have that inner witness. The Bible says the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. So even in people that have prophetic ministry, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul wrote to him and said, prophet can speak, let the others judge. Nobody's prophecy is above being appraised and assessed by others who operate in that gift and uh, minister. So there should be an appraisal and an approval made. <clears throat> so you can see that the, the prophetic word is subject to these things. I, one of the other things I think is important is the, the spirit and the nature of the message. Um, I heard a story one time about a kid who jumped up. He was really wound up. It was in a church called Love Tabernacle uh, in, uh, in uh, the Bronx, New York, and I was visiting. Big, big church, and this kid had jumped up, or, or excuse me, an older man jumped up because they had a bunch of kids from the street going there, and they were like bikers and stuff like that. And this was back in the 70s, 80s. And uh, one of the old deacons jumped up and, and figured, we're going to have to straighten this out. These, these people should not be in this church. So he jumps up, and, and he's just barking at them, thus saith the Lord, you guys, you're bums, you're all bums, says the Lord. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it just kind of went on from there. <laughs> there. Um, but, so the spirit of the message just didn't line up with the spirit of Jesus, the character, the nature. And then another thing, too, look, people don't earn the right to prophesy because they've never sinned or they don't make a mistake or they don't fall short. But the character and nature of the person giving those prophecies is part of judging that that word is, you know, if, if, 
if somebody whose life is a mess, they're out of order, they're not walking right with the Lord, all of a sudden God's using them and they're giving prophetic utterances. You see, you want to kind of stand off and, and think, well, the Lord surely can find somebody who's actually walking with him. Right. You know, to, now, I know that people love to say, well, the Lord spoke through, a, spoke through Balaam's donkey. Right, right. But, you know, that was a good donkey. Yeah, it was a good donkey. Seriously. It was not a bad donkey. He wasn't stubborn, wasn't rebellious. He was kind and, and, and yielded. So the character was there even with the donkey. My closing thought, and I'd like this to precipitate our prayer response, is the scripture encourages all spirit-filled Christians to earnestly desire to prophesy. That means you. That means you. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. At the end of that chapter in verse 39, he ends it the way he begins it. He says, Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Any spirit-filled Christian may prophesy, or Paul wouldn't have said, desire to prophesy. Philip the evangelist was not an apostle, and neither were his four daughters. But the Bible says in Acts 21, 9 through 11, Philip had four daughters which did prophesy. The reason it mentions that they prophesied was that they did it on a regular basis. They, these four girls were like four little prophetesses that were prophesying on a fairly regular basis. God was using them. So many churches have abandoned this gift. And I think one of the reasons is just the way that the church is styled and the service is organized. There's just no place for it. There's no room for it. And it's unfortunate. I can't comment on that. I don't know how you deal with that. <clears throat> I just know what we do here. And, um, but the fact is that it is a shame when church no longer has a place for prophetic utterance, no longer encourages it, and the believers are not seeking it because we need to hear the word of the Lord to lift us up on high. With everything going on around us, we need the testimony from Jesus to have the same effect it had on John. John knows he's talking to an angel. He knows he's in heaven, yet he falls down when the guy says what he says, the angel says what he says, because of the presence. We need that presence. And so if you're going to prophesy, make sure that presence is speaking and, and moving through you, because that, I'm not suggesting that everyone's got to fall down the next time um, uh, uh, Jacob gives a prophecy, but, you know, be nice to see that, wouldn't it? That'd be... <laughs> All right, so, in, um, in 1 Corinthians 14 and 5, here's our last verse. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. For greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. We need to be edified. We need more than what the preacher can do. We need that edifying word. Oftentimes, people go home, they can't really remember everything that was said from the pulpit, but they remember in that service 
there was a word that came forth and that spoke to me and it carries them through the week and you know we need that going on now stand with me and you personally I would like you to just open your heart and maybe you're if you're if you go to this church you hear people prophesy all the time you might be thinking, oh, we don't need somebody else prophesying. That's not for you to say. That's for God to say. And Paul said, earnestly desire that you may prophesy.